You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. I heard it said earlier um, as I was preparing for Easter that every Sunday should be like a little Easter Right? So like most of the time, churches really ramp up for Christmas and Easter. Those are the big ones. They know they're going to have guests. They know they're going to have more than just their regulars. And that's super cool. But there's this thought, this idea, that this truth that we have to share with people is not just a once or twice a year truth. It's not just true on Easter Sunday. It's not just true on Christmas morning. The things that we have to share are true every single day. So every time the people of God gather together, there should be that sense like it's a little Easter in the sense of anticipation and the fact that you would invite someone to come experience it. Like we think like, hey, it's Easter. I'll throw it out there and maybe someone will come. And a lot of times people will be like, yeah, I'll come to church because it's Easter. Well, if we treat every Sunday like that, then maybe our invitation sort of has that same anticipation and expectation that it does when we invite people on Easter and Christmas and those kinds of things. And so every Sunday should be a little Easter in one sense or another. And uh, I hope that's true for us here. Well, if you'll turn your attention this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 13... That's where we're going to find ourselves. And this week when we do come together, God willing, on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for our uh, Through the Bible study, we'll be going through uh, the remainder of chapter 12 and 13. And so, uh, fingers crossed, we'll get to finish up our study of 2 Corinthians this week. And, and not because, you know, we simply want to be done with 2 Corinthians, but the, but the timing works out um, to, to finish it up and get ready for the letter to the Galatians. I'm excited for that. I'm excited for every book of the Bible. You know how I roll on those things. But if you'll turn your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, right at the end here, Paul begins to sum up his entire letter. This sort of becomes his final greetings, his final things that he wants to say to the church. And in this, he offers his last words of warning, of encouragement, and, and he really lays out for them sort of, again, that big theme that we've known all throughout his letter is that God proves his strength in our weakness. We live in a world where, man, it's, it's the strongest are the ones who survive. If you can somehow show the rest of the world how strong you are, then somehow you're achieving something. I'm a guy and I don't cry. I'm strong. And all the women in the room go, you're an idiot, right? Like that's, that's, that strength somehow doesn't equate to a good thing necessarily. And yet women love it when men are emotional. Hey, just talk to me. Share your feelings. And we're all just running for the hills. Be like, no, that feels meh. And yet the women are like, no, if you'll just tell me how you feel, we're going to be connected in a way, and I will, I will respond to you in a way that is healthy and good, and we'll have this dynamic relationship, and the guys are like, nah, I don't know. And yet this is what Paul is expressing to the church in a spiritual sense, that in our weakness, when we are vulnerable and weak with the Lord, that leaves room for him to somehow swoop in and be the hero of the day as he desires to be. That's what Jesus is. He's our hero. He saves our life. 
And so this is the theme that Paul is, is recapitulating. He's stating again for the Corinthians. And this is where we gain that encouragement. But he says something, as he often does, which is interesting and should cause us to think. And so let's read beginning in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Paul says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warned them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. We'll, we'll deal with that on Wednesday. There's a lot there. But Paul continues and says, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we live with him by the power of God. And here's where Paul says something that is incredibly um, deep and, and perhaps even troublesome to a degree. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. Raise your hand. This is revealing, but this is good. We need to be vulnerable with each other. We need to be honest about things. Just be honest, not in a prideful way, but raise your hand if you were good in school. If you were just, if you were good in school, go ahead, raise your hand. It's not a prideful thing. It's not arrogant. Let's just go. Yeah. Were you good in school? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All you smarty pants, all you straight A's or A's and B's or for some people, C's were really good. So let's, that, that could, this could include a lot of people in the room, right? But if you were good in school, right, this idea of a test, right, doesn't necessarily freak you out to go, oh, there's a test. I just need to study. I've taken notes on the material and we'll take the test and we'll be fine. And, and that's fine. And most teachers, they do retakes, right? If you mess up, they let you take it over or at least take over the parts that you got wrong and you get a retake and all those kinds of things. Now, listen, be honest, vulnerable. Raise your hand if you were not good in school, right? If you, okay, amen. Now, th that's fine. But, but here's the thing. When you hear the word test, be honest. Is there that little bit of anxiety that goes up for you and you just go, oh, shoot, it's like the dream where I showed up at school in my underwear. Something just went wrong. I, don't, I, I was in class. I know that I heard the material. I even read the book or tried to read the book. And, and now there's this test on the horizon that that's like the drop dead date, right? Like I just, I, 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 I'm not looking forward to the test. Tests create anxiety for so many people. As a teacher, I see it, you know, every time that, that we come to class practically, that, that there are certain students who embrace it, and it's a part of their life, and they enjoy it, and it's good, and they actually do well because they've, they're supported or they're intrinsically motivated. But there are so many people in the world who, when it comes to that idea of examination, someone putting them to the test, asking them questions where they need to give the quote-unquote right answer... There's this fear, there's this anxiety, right? So here's Paul telling the Corinthians, look what he says. He says, hey, 
by the way, in the midst of, of me telling you that it's good that you're weak because then Jesus be, is strong, Jesus is our strength, we'll show you that when we come and minister to you in person, you'll see it, Jesus is the one who's strong, even if we're weak, right? Remember Paul shared all of his weaknesses, all of his trials and tribulations he's been through. He goes, Jesus is going to be strong. Um, but by the way, while Jesus is being strong, you should take a test. <laughs> wait a minute, I thought you just said Jesus is the answer and he's strong and we're weak. Yeah, but you should still take a test. You should examine yourself is what Paul says. This concept of examination, I have found that it's not one that gets fully fleshed out in a lot of church experiences, right? A lot of church experiences sort of go like this. I wish I had a whiteboard. I'm a teacher. I should have had a whiteboard. Um, A lot of people's church experiences is this, that we're living in this world over here and that there's this this line that runs through our life, if you can imagine that. And the goal of our life is to live above the line in the sense of trying to be good. And then if you can imagine behind, underneath the line would be all the bad stuff that we do, Right. And so we sort of conceptualize our life by saying there's this line of, that separates good versus bad. And, and at the end of my life, I want there to be more stuff on the good side of my life than the bad side of my life. Are you tracking with me? Am I, are we getting that idea, right? That's okay. And, and a lot of us in our church experience or our experience with God or the concept of God is this thought that at the end of my life that, that all of my good stuff is going to be weighed against my bad stuff. And based on how much good stuff versus bad stuff I have in my life, God then says, okay, well, there's just enough good stuff in your life. Go ahead and you go to heaven. And and unfortunately, there's people where there's just too much bad stuff to where God then says, no, you go to hell. Right? And, And we have this conception. Again, I don't think anybody would ever express their theology as such, but we live that way. We live with this concept of, I'm just trying to be good enough to get on God's good side versus his bad side. And what we miss in that concept is the fact that the story of God, the story that is given to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the story of scripture has nothing to do with us. Now that seems sort of, counterintuitive to what a lot of our church experiences have been, right? A lot of our church experiences feel like it's not just good versus bad, but it also feels like this constant test in our lives, like, do I know enough Bible verses? Do I have the exact right theology to pass the somehow the heaven test, right? We feel like we're constantly under this examination in our lives, which causes a lot of people to have that anxiety or fear reaction to the point of going, I don't want to do church. I don't want to deal with God because it feels like this test that is testing whether I'm good enough or not. And what we have to understand and conceptualize and really understand about our faith is that it has nothing to do with us. It affects us. It it has repercussions in our life. But our relationship to God really has nothing to do with us. This is one of the best things that we can ever learn. 
is that to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, has everything to do with Jesus, not you, not me. We're told in scripture that if it was left up to our own devices, if we were simply judged on our merits, nobody could stand in the presence of God. That's what it says in the Old Testament. Lord, if you should mark iniquity, Lord, who could stand? Nobody. We're all sinners. That's the problem. We've all chosen to do evil things, bad things, whether we've done them physically with our hands or simply just thought about them or felt them in our hearts. We're all guilty of this sin. And so we have to conceptualize this relationship to God. We have to understand this whole thing about reading the Bible, following Jesus' example. It's not about us and, uh, and, and us being constantly examined for how good we are. It has to do with Jesus being perfect. And like we, we celebrated last week, his death and his resurrection being applied to our lives in such a way that we can have this relationship with God the Father that is peaceful. Now, why then, if that's the nature of our relationship, why does Paul say, examine yourself? Well, be very specific about what he's saying to examine. Paul is not saying, examine yourself to see if you are good enough for God. That's never conceptualized in the Bible, ever. In the sense of our relationship through Jesus, there's never this concept, are you good enough? No, Paul says, examine yourselves in verse 5 to see whether you are in the faith. This is important. This is a different kind of test than trying to compare yourself against what you conceive of as good. The idea of, of testing yourself and examining yourself is actually a scriptural concept that is all throughout the Bible. You can take note of these scriptures and go back and read them later for some context. But in the Old Testament, this idea is presented here in Lamentations, a book that you, I dare you, when's the last time you read Lamentations, right? Let's be honest, like, yeah, it's, it's not something we turn to for constant encouragement, right? Just the book itself, Lamentations. It sounds depressing, because it is. But in the book of Lamentations, here's what it says. In the same chapter, chapter 3, in the same chapter that says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. These great words of encouragement and, and just strength in the Lord. In that same chapter, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40, Lamentations 3.40 says, Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. One of the constant themes of the Old Testament story of God's people, the nation of Israel, was repentance. Was the theme of God's people being saved by God, being set apart by God. But then those same people wandering away from the Lord, going sideways and pursuing things that were fleshly, pursuing pagan idols and, and sensuality and, and all these crazy bad things that separated them from God. And we hear constantly God saying, come back, turn back, repent. And there the prophet says in Lamentations, let us test and examine our ways and return 
to the Lord. There it is, Old Testament evidence that this is a theme that we see throughout Scripture. If you remember uh, in our study of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul talked about testing ourselves previously before this time in 2 Corinthians, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul talks about the table of communion, the table of fellowship, he says that we should test ourselves. In fact, if you look in verse 28, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28, you can write it down and look at it later. I'll read it to you right now. But in reference to coming to the table of communion, celebrating the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, this is what Paul tells the church. I'll pick up in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. This is how serious the sacrifice of Jesus is, that even in the commemoration, the remembrance of his sacrifice, it's such a sacred moment It's such an important part of our faith, the broken body of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus, remembering that that is what purchased our freedom, purchased our salvation, that if people just come to it and disrespect it and they're like, oh yeah, there's the bread and there's the cup and oh, here I go again, right? And oh, you know, I've been sinning all week, but here I am Sunday and now I'm back in God's good graces. If that's the concept of what you're doing as far as your relationship with the Lord, Paul says, some of you having done that are sick and ill and some of you have even died. Therefore, he says, examine yourselves. When you come to the table of the Lord, before you ever partake of this glorious meal with Jesus, Stop and consider your heart. Stop and consider your ways. Are you given worth to what this means? That has a big impact and something we'll talk about in just a second. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'll give you this last reference in regard to this testing that we see throughout the scripture, Old Testament and New. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul slips this in again as a part of his concluding thoughts to that church. In the same way that he does to the Corinthians, he does this to the Thessalonians. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19 and 20, and 22. Verse 19, it says, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good abstain from every form of evil. Paul says we need to be aware and we need to test the spirits that are coming into the church. Well, what do you mean spirits, pastor? Well, well, here's the deal. Satan, knowing that we are a people who are devoting ourselves to Jesus, who are pursuing Jesus, Satan wants to distract us from pursuing Jesus. Satan wants to come in and take our minds off of what it is that we're supposed to be focusing on and studying, and he wants us to turn our thoughts and our minds to things that are evil and and unclean. And there are even those, Jesus warned his disciples, there are those who are going to come into the church who look like sheep. They look like they're a part of what's going on, and they look like they fit and all that stuff, but they're actually wolves, he says. 
They're secretly coming in to try and draw God's people away with teachings that are, that are against what Jesus taught. And so there's this wariness that we need to have. There's this uh, discernment that we need to have that we need to test when there's spiritual stuff going on. Test it, examine it, and only hold fast to the things that are good, the things that accord with righteousness and holiness in Jesus. And everything else, just abstain from every other form of evil. So when we think about this idea of a test, yeah, there's sort of the old um, school uh, analogy, and, and we sort of, in a, in a test situation, we get fearful, and we sort of, our, our anxiety goes up to goes, oh no, am I going to be able to pass the test? Listen, the test, again, is nothing to do with whether you are good enough or not. It's to examine, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, to examine ourselves whether we're in the faith or not. This accords with that word that I just used, discernment. That discernment that says, do I know Jesus in a way that I can ask myself some critical questions and test myself to see, am I still on the same page as Jesus, or have I wandered off and followed some other path, some other pursuit that doesn't match up with who Jesus is? From a real logical perspective, I want you guys to understand something. That we as Christians, we are called to be a curious people. We as Christians are called to be a people who are not afraid to ask hard questions of ourselves, of our faith, of the world around us. We are called to be a people who are willing to dive into sort of these questions regarding discernment and or needing discernment, questions of philosophy and morality, all of these kinds of things. We are not to be a people who say, well, we simply take things on faith. Basically, God is magical and he's a spirit and we don't understand how anything works and so we just take it all on faith, right? I think far too often I've heard Christians sort of offer that as this explanation for the life that they're pursuing. It's just faith. We don't really know it. We don't really understand it. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, please. If you can find your way there, that's fine. If not, I'll read it to you. Hebrews chapter 11, towards the end of your Bible. Don't get caught up in getting there. I'm already there and I'll read it to you. Hebrews chapter 11 is this definition and description of faith that should... In, it, it, it should call us as followers of Jesus to be people who are willing to be curious and allow our faith to be tested. And here's why. It says, now faith, Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Another way to say that is the expectation of coming good. We've been promised good things by God. We've been assured that they're going to happen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction or the other word that gets used in the King James language is the evidence of things not seen. Our faith is not some fluffy dream in the sky. Our faith has evidence. What is the evidence? We talked about this last week. Here's your test for the week. What, what is our evidence that our faith is real? 
Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Garrett, you pass. That's first A ever. There you go. Listen, the evidence of our faith is this concrete thing. It's not some thought, some idea, some wish. It's this concrete thing. That's why I said last week, if Jesus didn't raise up from the dead, if, he, if he's not a risen savior, then our faith is worthless. It doesn't mean anything. Jesus raising from the dead and the testimony, the eyewitness testimony of the fact that he actually raised up from the grave is this evidence of the things that we, that, that we have not seen. We've not seen it. We haven't seen the risen Savior, but there's this testimony that he's alive, the evidence that he's alive. This is what our faith is based on. And so we are people who need to be wary. We need to be watchful. We need to use discernment. Uh, um, Jesus said that, that because of these wolves that are going to come in, we need to be uh, gentle as doves, but we need to be as cunning or as wise as serpents, right? There's this duality in the Christian life where we need to have some curiosity and some, some desire to learn and to grow, but also some skepticism and some discernment to go, let's make sure that things are real and true. In all the analogies of scripture, the one that places you and me as followers of Jesus in the category of sheep. I find that to be an interesting one. Sheep are dumb. Let's just be honest. They're not the smartest of animals. They can be cute and cuddly. Y'all are cute and cuddly. That's great. But we can be dumb. But thankfully that even though we might be dumb sheep, we're led by a really, really smart shepherd. Our shepherd is, is the one that we can trust, and that is Jesus who we follow. And he teaches us to be gentle but he also teaches us to be wise. And so to the point today, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Okay, so there's this test. There's this examination that Paul says we should apply to ourselves. We should test ourselves and, and determine, discern whether we are in the faith or not. How is it that we're going to know? What are the right answers? Like, how are we going to know? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, share with you three. There's many others in scripture, but I'm going to share with you what I believe to be the top three things that we can use as evidence that we're passing the test that we're in the faith. So when we test ourselves and ask ourselves the question, that's the question, okay? That's the question. Are you in the faith? Here's the three evidences that if we can see these things in our lives, we're in the faith. You can be confident of those things. Here's the first are we in the faith or not? Well, question yourself as to, number one, the nature of your heart. Ask yourself, what is the nature of my heart? 1 Corinthians 15. This is where I've referenced this quite a bit in the last season of time because it's had this kind of impact on me. This statement of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul explains to the church in 1 Corinthians 15 that this is the gospel that was handed down to him. It's the gospel, the good news that has saved you and will save you if, and here's the key, you remain in that gospel. 
And then he goes on and describes that Jesus Christ was crucified according to the scriptures, that he was dead and buried, and that he rose from the grave according to the scriptures. And then, then there was, like, Peter saw him, and the ladies at the tomb saw him, and then 500 other people saw him, and then all the disciples saw him, and then Paul saw him. Like, all this evidence that Jesus rose from the grave. What's the nature of your heart? Have you experienced true salvation? Are you remaining in the faith? Or was your faith just this little uh, blip on the screen at a summer camp one time? Was that what all your faith was? Is that one summer somebody who was cooler than you or, or was a better musician or skateboarder or something told you about Jesus and you thought, that's great, I'll sign up for Jesus. And, and there you go, that was your Jesus experience, but then the rest of your life sort of just fizzled out on all the Jesus stuff? Or are you remaining in the faith? Another way to think of it is this. Do you trust Jesus more than any of everything else in your life? That's how to know if you are remaining in the faith, that you trust Jesus more than you trust your money. You trust Jesus more than your relationships. You trust Jesus more than your personal pleasure or success. That's how to know whether you're in the faith or not the nature of your heart. Are you in love with Jesus? See, a lot of people are okay with Jesus. They're fine with Jesus. They even like Jesus or they appreciate Jesus. But they haven't turned the corner to actually loving Jesus in such a way that it fits the picture that we see in scripture. The marriage of Jesus and his church. We're the bride and he's the bridegroom. And in our relationship to him, there's supposed to be this love and devotion. How do you know if you're in the faith? Check the state of your heart. Are you in love with Jesus? Are you remaining in the faith? The second way to, to see if you are still in the faith, to test yourself, is to ask yourself, is the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life? Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Well, is the Holy Spirit present and active in my life? How do I know if the Holy Spirit's in my life? Is it, is it like some weird thing that happens, right? Some people believe that, that to be a Christian, you have to believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, like it says in Romans 10, 9, but then you also have to be baptized, and then when you get baptized, you should come up out of the water speaking in tongues. And then that, that somehow becomes the evidence that you now have the Holy Spirit on you. That's nowhere seen in scripture in terms of the requirement for salvation. How do you know if you have the Holy Spirit in your life? Mark down Galatians chapter five. This is a good preview for us in regard to what we're gonna be studying in Galatians. Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. How do you know if you have the Holy Spirit as an evidence that you are in the faith. Verse 22 says, the fruit of the Spirit, meaning that if the Spirit is in you, these are the things that are gonna grow in you. They're going to increase. They're not gonna be perfect, but they're gonna be growing and increasing in you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. 
What we're taught here in Galatians 5 is that the fruit of the Spirit, note that it's singular. Fruit of the Spirit is a package deal. It's not just individuals like, hey, I'm just going to work on love, joy, and peace. Forget patience. Yeah, I don't need that fruit right now in my life. It always comes up rotten. No, no, this is a package deal. This is an example to us of the types of things that are a reflection of Jesus in our life. Are we in the faith? Well, check the state of your heart, number one. Are you remaining in the faith? Do you love Jesus? Number two, is the presence of the Holy Spirit active in you? Are these things that if, if okay, all right, let's do, do it for real. Husbands, all right, if we were to go around and anonymously ask all the wives, hey, does your husband have the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life? And this was the litmus test. We'd have to stop and go, all right, women, be honest. Are you seeing these things growing in your husbands? Now, here's the thing, ladies. You got to be fair. You got to be fair. They're not all going to be perfect. They're not all going to be in the same amount, right? But, but are they growing? Are they being produced? Are they happening? That's a question we can all ask ourselves is the presence of the Holy Spirit being worked out in our lives. If we can answer yes to that examination, that test, then man, we can be confident that we're in the faith. We love Jesus, the Holy Spirit's doing things in us. Sometimes we're uncomfortable because we're having to grow and we're having growing pains, but it's happening. It means we're in the faith. We're passing that test. Thirdly, I'll mention this. In that question of whether we are in the faith or not, We can ask ourselves, do we love God and neighbor? Am I in my life showing evidence that I love God and I love my neighbor? I say it that way because Jesus himself, in teaching, was asked uh, what the greatest of the law was. What's the greatest law of the Old Testament? And understand that the Jews had somewhere in the ballpark of 613 laws. And so which was the greatest? And Jesus expressed that the greatest was the first commandment, which was to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love the Lord your God, number one. And then he equated the second part to being the same as loving God. He says, love the Lord your God above all else and then love your neighbor as yourself. He puts those things together and says, all of the law, everything else about the law and all the prophecies that were spoken by by God's prophets regarding Jesus coming in the future, everything hangs on those two commandments. That's the greatest of all the law, all the commandments. Love God, number one. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the most important thing. So if we're going to test ourselves to see if we're in the faith, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe in his death and I believe in his resurrection. I believe my sins are forgiven. But man, do I hate my neighbor. Why can he not keep his stinking dogs off my lawn? Why is it that he doesn't want to fix his side of the fence? Why is it that he lets his dumb plant grow over to where I have to trim it on my side and it's re- like, listen, you're, you're, getting an, you're getting an insight into my life here, okay? Let's just be honest. I'm being really, really specific. And I hope to God they don't listen to this sermon. I hope they come to church, but, but I hope they don't listen to this sermon. 
I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I go to church. I got Jesus people, and we do youth group, and I listen to worship music in the car and all those kinds of things. But if that guy cuts me off one more time, it's going to be more than a finger. We giggle and we laugh, but we're all like, been there, been there, done that. To test ourselves, we have to, we have to take it beyond just, yeah, I, I'm good with God. I like God. I, maybe I even love God because I understand what, what this whole thing is about. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And if I believe in Jesus and follow after Jesus, that's my hope, not in myself. Great. But Jesus takes it up another level and goes, yeah, I love God, but you need to love other people the same way that you love yourself. The test for us is not just that we have the right theology, that we come to church and do this. This is all good and right. The test is, in the hardest of circumstances, in our weakest points, is Jesus the thing that is actually guiding us through, sustaining us, giving us strength, giving us life? Because in Jesus, when I keep him in front of me, when I, when, when I try and copy his life, all of a sudden I don't see my neighbor as an inconvenience or a hindrance to my happiness. I don't see the guy on the freeway as a problem for me anymore. When I'm copying Jesus, when I'm pursuing Christ-likeness, then all of a sudden that person is a beloved child of God who needs to be redeemed and saved as much as I do. That's, that's a paradigm shift. If we find ourselves living that way, putting ourselves to the test, asking ourselves those kinds of questions, like am I really in the faith? Okay, well, well, do I love Jesus? What's the nature of my heart? Am I remaining in the gospel? Am I remaining in the truth that there's death and resurrection present in my life? Is the presence of the Holy Spirit growing in me, working in me? Are those things being produced in greater and greater measure? And am I loving God and as a result of loving God, loving the person who quite possibly might be my greatest enemy? If I ask myself those questions and can process through that and go, yeah, some of those things are tenuous at best. I don't have a real full grip on all of them, but they're there. They're growing in me. Listen, this example gets used all the time from the scripture, but you have to hear it. King David in the Old Testament was known as a man after God's own heart. Now, if you know King David's story, that seems to be a contradiction because David was an adulterer and he was complicit in the murder of a man because of his adultery. Okay, so, so when we see that leveled against David's life and go, Really? That's a man after God's heart? It wasn't because he was so good. It wasn't because somehow God overlooked his offenses and his sins. It was because at, after the fact, David cried out to the Lord and expressed to the Lord, there's a wretchedness in my bones. My bones rot because of my sin. And, and, and Lord, it's only you that can redeem me. It was the humility that David showed to submit himself to the Lord, to repent, to confess of his sins and, and lay himself out on God's mercy rather than claim his own 
righteousness. This is, this is what is important for us to see. We're never going to be perfect. In fact, many of us may have done some really horrible, rotten things in our life. Maybe other people have done some really horrible, rotten things to us in life. But above any of that stuff, if we test ourselves and ask ourselves these questions, examine ourselves, and find that in some way we're fulfilling those things, I think what we find then is that Jesus becomes not just this abstract concept of salvation, Jesus becomes for us this concrete reality of, oh, I get it, his life for mine. His death so that my sin can die. His resurrection so that my life can be resurrected and redeemed. As a teacher, you know, again, the test thing, man, it puts people on edge. There's anxiety that goes along with it. People are fearful of it. But one of the things a good teacher will do when there's a test coming up, they'll uh, schedule like a, a class where there's a study session, right? And they'll give you a study guide and go, hey, listen, for all you knuckleheads who didn't pay attention the other seven weeks of the term, here's all the questions that are going to be on the test. So if you want to cram for it, here you go. You can pull an all-nighter and get yourself ready. Just so you know, here's all the questions. And maybe even in the class session, there'll be a, a Q&A, right? Like, okay, just lay it out there. If you've been asleep the whole time, now is the time. Ask the questions. How do you do that problem again? And what was the date? And what was the thing? And how do you conjugate that whatever? And the teacher will answer those questions so that the student is prepared for the test. Can I tell you something? God does the same thing with us. God does the same thing with us. If you're nervous, if you're nervous about examining yourself to see if you're in, if you're in the faith, can I recommend something to you? Go ask God a bunch of questions. Go ask God any question that you have. Here's why. God not only has the answers to your questions, but God can handle anything that you throw at him. God can handle your doubts. If you have doubts about the presence of the Holy Spirit or about what it means to be saved, God can handle that doubt. Absolutely. If you're fearful of something in your life, God can handle your fears. If you're unsure and just have general questions about the faith, here's the thing. God can handle those questions. He's the great physician. He's the teacher. He's the one who created us. He can handle all of our fears, all of our questions, all of our doubts. And so if I can encourage you in anything today, it's in this examination of yourself Go to the Lord. Ask your questions. Bring your challenges. If you're challenged by the idea of the faith or what it means or how it's being worked out in your life or how you're to be in relationship with other people, go take that to the Lord. But can I give you the, the, the context of how it is that you should come to the Lord? Mark down as our, first, our, our last scripture for the day. Take it with you. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. 
This is a psalm written by David, the same David that we just spoke of, who was considered a man after God's heart, and yet we know his testimony of great sin and wickedness in his life, and yet also great repentance. In Psalm 139, it says in verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. If you, if you want to bring your fears, your doubts, your concerns to the Lord, do it in this way. Come before him and go, Lord, I know I need to examine myself to see if I'm in the faith, according to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13. But Lord, before that ever happens, will you just test me for a moment? Will you see if there's anything sinful in me, if there's anything that's causing me to be separated from you? And if there is, will you lead me in the way that is everlasting? Listen, here's what happens. When we come before the Lord and we realize and recognize our sinfulness, what it does is it drives us to Jesus. Drives us to Jesus. That is the way that is everlasting, is the life of Jesus. And so if you have doubts, fears, take them to the Lord, but take them with that heart and that attitude. Lord, see if there's anything wicked in me. Test my heart and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's get rid of that wickedness. Let's get rid of the sin in life. And then, and then, and then I could test myself and say, am I in the faith? Is the Holy Spirit working in me? Am I loving God and loving my neighbor? If those things are true, I can be confident that I'm in the faith.